Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Good to be back with all of our listeners once again. Great to be able to gather together and open up God's Word each day as we come to study together, to think about our spiritual lives together, and to think about our relationship with God. We need to do this on a regular basis. You know, in the New Testament, we have passages that repeatedly encourage us to examine ourselves. And that's something that we really need to do. We think about in our physical lives, and even in our perhaps emotional lives, or our relational lives, we stop and we think about, okay, how do I look? We look in the mirror every morning. Anything look different? Well, maybe we've got a few less hairs, but... But uh, is there some kind of problem? Is there a blemish that wasn't there yesterday when we looked in the mirror? Does there look like there's some problem that's developed that we need to pay attention to? There are times when we get up or we start to move around and we feel an ache or a pain or maybe there's a limp or something going on that clues us into maybe there's a problem that's developed. We may even call the doctor or go see a uh, a doctor ourselves, or maybe go to the to the emergency room. We start to have a cough, or we start to sneeze, our nose starts to run, or maybe we feel a pain in our gut, or maybe a pain in our chest, or maybe a pain gravitating down one of our arms, and we take concern. We see that as a caution sign that maybe we need to have ourselves checked out because there might be something more serious going on that we don't see. So we examine ourselves. We pay attention. We think about our, our relationships with others, and so we kind of contemplate, uh, are things going well? Are we, are we in the same kind of relationship? Are we still as happy as we used to be? Does that person seem to still be at ease with me? Am I still at ease with that person? And married couples especially need to stop and examine their relationships on a regular basis. Are we still that couple that we should be? So we go on and on. But the area where we need to really examine ourselves most carefully and most, uh, perhaps most, uh, you know, commonly and, and repeatedly is in our spiritual lives. Are we where we ought to be spiritually? Is our relationship with God what it ought to be? And not just based on a feeling or kind of an automatic response, but am I really with God the way I need to be with God? Am I walking with him? Am I living by his teachings? Do we have a close personal relationship? Do I pray to him regularly every day, perhaps several times a day? Am I in his word and studying and contemplating and trying to learn? Am I trying to grow spiritually? You see, these are all signs or indicators of the condition of our spiritual lives. And we need to pay attention to those. It's good that we can come together each day right here and search the scriptures and dig deep into God's word and examine ourselves from a spiritual perspective. Examine our spiritual well-being. We need to pay attention to our physical well-being, to our emotional well-being, to our relational well-being, but even more important is our spiritual well-being. Am I healthy spiritually? And again, not just an automatic knee-jerk reaction or answer, but according to God's word, am I really where I ought to be spiritually? We appreciate all of our listeners. We appreciate those who are listening for the very first time. And our prayer is that if, as we come together each day, 
that we can get deeper into God's word, that our faith can grow because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17, and that each of us can come closer to God. And ultimately, if you're not where you ought to be with God, our prayer is that through our time together, our study together, our thoughts together, that you can come to the point where you make up your mind that you truly want to take that step and walk with God that you are ready to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Christ as God's Son and your Lord and Savior, and surrender to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, and thereby begin that new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, that life of having been born again, as Jesus says we must do if we want to enter the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Our prayers are with you, and our prayers are for you. Now, at the end of the program, we'll give you the information whereby you can contact us, as we always do, and ask for the free Bible study that we always offer. And when we say free, we mean free. We'll take care of the postage, even. All you have to do is contact us and ask. We'll be glad to send that out to you. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD, and again, for free, and we'll take care of the postage. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready, you can jot down that information in just a little while. And then our prayer is that you will contact us and let us send you those materials that can help you understand God's will for your life even more fully and can literally help you change your life for the better and for eternity. We're going to begin a new line of study today. And boy, I believe this is really pertinent. We're going to follow it up with another line of study that kind of answers this one, but this kind of sets the stage for the next one. And this one we'll spend several days on. But uh, it, it again, it kind of sets the stage for the next one. This one kind of lays out the problems, and then the next one helps us with solutions. What I want to talk about is how the devil attacks our faithfulness. And so this particular study is, is entitled, Seven Attacks on Our Faithfulness. Seven Attacks on Our Faithfulness. Now you think of the word faith as it is used in the scriptures, and a lot of people don't realize that it is actually used in several different ways, different forms of it. When we talk about faithfulness, faithfulness is the open demonstration of our faith. Our faith, as we consistently live by the teachings of the faith, which is the word of God. Now let me say that again. Faithfulness is the open and consistent demonstration of our faith, as we consistently live by the teachings of the faith, which is the word of God. The Bible gives us the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Where the Hebrews writer says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We've talked about this many times in Search the Scriptures. There are a lot of people who talk about faith, Christian faith, faith in God as a blind leap in the dark. They say, oh, you just blindly believe in something or somebody, some being that you have absolutely no evidence of. You just accept the fact of God's existence uh, just because somebody told you that, because you were raised to believe, and so on. And that's really not true. That's not what real faith is. 
Again, faith is the substance, and substance is talking about something that is real of things hoped for, but the idea of the hope there is not a blind leap in the dark. It's not just an unrealistic wish or dream or desire, but it is the desire plus the expectation based upon the evidence. And the next part of that says the evidence of things not seen. Well, somebody says, see there, you, you don't see it. You just believe on it. Well, there are a lot of things that we believe in and believe on that we don't see. We just don't think about it that way. But they're there, and we believe in them. We believe on them, but we cannot see them. And someone might say, well, what are you talking about? Give me an example. The wind? <laughs> the wind? In fact, Jesus talks about that in John chapter 3. The wind blows where it may, but we don't see the wind, do we? And you might say, well, well, sure I do. No, you don't. You don't see the wind. Now, you see the effects of the wind, and because of the effects of the wind, that's the evidence of the wind's existence. Well, by the same token and by the same line of logical reasoning, we see the effects of God's existence all around us through the creation of the world and humanity and all of the living things, the universe itself. We see the evidence of God's existence, and as a result, we believe in God. We see the evidence of how people live what we can call a good life, a righteous life, a life with purpose and direction, and that's a result of their belief in God evidence leads us to belief in God. That's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We don't see God face to face. We don't see him in physical form, and yet we see his evidence all around us, and so we believe. Now that's our personal faith. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 that if we want to walk with God, if we want to be with God for eternity, then we're going to have to believe in God. That's our personal faith. Now, it's already described or identified or defined what faith is, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. And then in verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus said the same thing about the absolute necessity of believing in him. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, he said, If you do not believe that I am he, that is, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, if you do not believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. There is no way to God except through Christ. Jesus said that on the night of his betrayal in John chapter 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So we must believe in God. We must believe in Jesus as God's Son and our Lord and Savior. That's our personal faith. And that, that faith, our personal faith, does not just happen. It's not something that kind of just falls upon us or that God lays on us whether we want it or not. 
It's not something that kind of surrounds us and overwhelms us. It's not like getting a virus, you know, and it just kind of hits us all of a sudden. No, faith develops. Again, just as faith is logical, as we've already talked about, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith, the, the development of faith is also on a logical basis. We keep saying in this program, usually in the introductions, we make mention of the fact that faith comes through our study of, word, of God's word, our reading it, our learning it, our hearing it, our understanding it, our believing it, and then making the proper applications to our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 and verse 7, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or boiled down, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So faith, again, does not just happen. It develops within our minds as we understand God's word, believe it, and make the proper applications to our lives. Look at how Paul put it in his letter to the Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. He said, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then in chapter 2 and verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Faith comes by hearing the word of God as you have been taught. Now, notice also that Paul brings out there in Colossians 1 and verse 23 that the faith is nothing more than God's word. Now, the faith is not our faith. Our faith is our personal belief that is based upon the faith, which Paul brings out there, is the gospel or the word of God. In chapter 2 and verse 7 again, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So the faith is God's word the teachings of God's word, the teachings of God, if you would, communicated to us through his word. That is the faith. And as we understand that and believe it and make the proper application to our lives, that's our faith that develops as we learn the faith. Well, then faithfulness needs to come into play. We need to understand that that is another way that the word faith is used, another form of it. And that becomes very important because we cannot just believe in God or even just believe in God's word. But we must live a life that demonstrates our faith. And that's faithfulness. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul wrote, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Faithfulness. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's faithfulness. Jesus said 
in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, right at the end of the verse, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, my faithfulness is my faith that is put into action on a consistent basis that demonstrate, or through my lifestyle, that demonstrates my faith in God. I can believe in God without being faithful to God. In fact, there are a great many people who do exactly that. If you ask them, do you believe in God? They'd say very quickly, oh, oh yes, I believe in God. But they don't live a faithful life before God. They don't live their faith. They harbor a belief in God, but they don't live faithfully before God. And that's their problem. People can have faith. In fact, a great many people have faith in God, but they're not faithful to God. They live sinful lives. They live lives of disobedience. They live unfaithful lives before God. Now, the point of this particular study is to zero in on some lines of attack that the devil uses to try to break down our faithfulness so that we will not be faithful to God. You see, the devil does not have to turn us into an atheist to pull us away from God or to bring about our destruction spiritually. And someone might say, well, what do you mean bring, down our, bring on our destruction? Well, again, a passage of scripture that we've looked at many times in our studies together is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And here Peter, the apostle, wrote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks, around, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now there... And of course, we're looking at a metaphorical kind of image of the devil, trying to get across to us, the, the reader, how much of an adversary or an enemy we have in the person of the devil himself. So Peter describes him as like a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, looking for prey, if you would. And we are the prey that he's looking for. He wants to destroy us. How, how does he do that? By breaking us down in our faithfulness. He doesn't have to turn us into an atheist again, or even an agnostic, or even a skeptic. He just has to lead us away from faithful living before God. The next verse, verse 9, tells us how to resist the devil, how to overcome his attacks. Now again, the word adversary means literally one who stands against, and it's the idea of an enemy. In verse 9, Peter goes on and says, resist him, that is, resist the devil, steadfast in the faith. That's faithfulness, living a steadfast life of faithfulness. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. A lot of times we feel like, on an individual basis, that 
we are faced with difficulties, trials, struggles, challenges that nobody else experiences, or virtually nobody else. And that is not true. We are not unique in what the life throws at us, or even in what the devil himself throws at us. We, as human beings, face the same kinds of attacks on our faithfulness, and the same kinds of challenges and difficulties that life throws at us, just by virtue of that's what life is like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul wrote, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You see, you don't experience any unique, absolutely unique temptations. Everybody, mankind in general, faces similar temptations, similar difficulties, similar challenges. Now, Paul goes on and says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Even, And so God is going to be there with us if we walk with him. Even Jesus went through the same kinds of temptations that we go through as human beings. That may shock some people. But the Hebrews writer wrote, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, speaking of Christ, he says, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And then in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, again speaking of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So temptation is common. The challenges, the difficulties the weaknesses that we experience in life, humankind go through all of those things. So don't feel like somehow you're a unique victim of unique circumstances that are kind of breaking you down. That's not true. As human beings, we face those kinds of situations. Our Lord faced those kinds of situations. But God tells us that if we will walk with him in faithfulness, then he will see us through and give us the victory. Now, in our next program, we'll start to look at these seven attacks the devil uses on our faithfulness. In just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us. Jot down that information and then contact us and ask for the free materials that we offer, and they can help you stand strong in your faith against all the wiles of the devil. We hope to hear from you right away.